from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in and making us part of your day. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch, the House Rules Committee is taking up the $14.3 billion emergency aid package for Israel this hour. And the full House, well, they could vote on it tomorrow or Friday. Now, the White House has already threatened to veto the measure until it contains the $60 billion-plus for Ukraine. And the, uh, the Senate scare leader, Chuck Schumer, well, he says it's DOA in the Senate. On Monday, Speaker Johnson and House Republicans released a totally unserious and woefully inadequate package. This stunningly unserious proposal is not going to be the answer. It's not going anywhere. As I said, it's dead almost before it's born. Hmm. That would be typical of Mr. Schumer, just abort it. Well, we'll get the latest on the, the measure from Florida Congressman Mike Waltz in just a moment. And new information on who benefited from the so-called business dealings of Hunter Biden. Not only did he lie about his son, Hunter, making money in China, but it also turns out that $40,000 in laundered China money landed in Joe Biden's bank account in the form of a personal check. And the Oversight Committee has it. Hmm, that's a lot of fortune cookies. That was James Comer, chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. He made that statement earlier today, and he joins us later with more. And yesterday, before the Senate Homeland Security Committee, Utah Senator Mitt Romney asked this question of FBI Director Christopher Wray. What proportion of these hate crimes has been directed towards Muslims, for instance? If 60 percent were towards Jews, what percent towards Muslims? I, I don't have that percentage, but it's, it's obviously quite a bit smaller than 60 percent by definition. Hmm, that's interesting. If that's the case, why does the Biden administration keep using the both sides language, like the problem is equal. I mean, here's what's happening. In an effort to appease the left, President Biden has announced an effort to address Islamophobia in the country as it has anti-Semitism. Well, here's a question. Is that based on a security problem or a political problem? We'll talk with Texas Congressman Randy Weber a little later on Washington Watch. And speaking of Homeland Security, Who's coming across our southern border? The odds that terrorists are coming across our southern border into the United States are increasing on an hour-by-hour basis. Afghanistan, Lebanon, Somalia, Russia, more than 500 crossed here from those countries last month. People there, they hate us. So we should be prepared that they can attack us from within. That was Montana Senator Steve Daines. He also joins us later on this edition of Washington Watch. And and here's something of note. The Washington Post is examining the surge of homeschooling across the country. Now, according to the Washington Post and their research, the number of homeschool students rose 51 percent between 2017 and 2023. Now, what's their interest in homeschooling? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about with FRC's Meg Kilgannon a little later on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temper, temperate, sober-minded, and of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. 
For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, this qualification is actually the one that is most readily seen and the most often ignored. If you can't manage your family, your home, how can you manage a church, a state, or a nation? Paul goes on to say, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. You see, maturity is important. In a culture that idolizes youth, we often thrust young people into leadership positions that are not spiritually and emotionally ready to lead. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. Well, House Republicans have eyed tomorrow for the vote on legislation to provide $14.3 billion in military aid and support to Israel in its fight against Hamas. Now, this legislation would be offset uh, by cuts to the billions that the Biden administration directed to the IRS last year in its woefully misnamed Inflation Reduction Act. President Biden has already declared he will veto this urgently needed package of aid for Israel, possibly delaying it due to partisan concerns. Joining me now to discuss this and more, Congressman Mike Waltz. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Florida, and he's helping shepherd this piece of legislation through. Congressman Waltz, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Tony. Thank you. I was uh, just before coming into the studio, I was talking with the majority leader, and he says there's broad support uh, across the conference and possibly even Democratic support for this bill once it hits the floor. What's your take? Yeah, I think you'll have some bipartisan support, Tony. There's, uh, I'm sure you've heard grumbling uh, from the Democrats with the talking point that we're allowing more loopholes for the rich uh, by cutting IRS agents. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, I think House Republicans have been consistent that we have to stop borrowing money, even for emergencies, even for our greatest ally. uh, We have to find what we call pay-fors to to go forward uh, when we're talking tens of billions of dollars. Uh, I, for one, think a few less IRS agents uh, is perfectly acceptable, especially when we're not talking about helping Israel. We're talking about the survival of Israel. Right, right. And and look, I mean, I think those that want to vote against this are going to vote for terrorists uh, that are fighting against Israel. And it's going to be a vote uh, for those who want to terrorize the American people through the IRS. So, I mean, I guess they can have have their... Yeah, fair. Yeah, no, that's a great point. But, you know, I think uh, you're going to have others uh, that, frankly, are sympathetic uh, to terrorism, sympathetic to Hamas, and they're going to use the IRS excuse uh, for their vote against it. And and that's a shame, but we know who they are. We'll call them out. And at the end of the day, this is about standing strong for good versus evil. Uh, And there there is very little in between. There's another principle here that you've articulated, and I've heard this, well, this is setting a precedent. We don't want to set this type of a precedent for emergency spending. Well, we're $33 trillion in debt. At some point in time, we have to, to, to say we can't have everything. We can't do everything. So I think now is a good time to set a precedent. No, I, I think you're right. Uh, and there's another precedent that I would point to for those critics. And that was 20 years of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that was called uh, GWAT funding or Global War on Terrorism funding 
and then they changed it to contingency funding. But either way, it was completely off the books, non-budgeted, borrowed money to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars. And we are certainly slipping into that category when it comes to Ukraine. Uh, we have that funding that the president uh, has sent to us. And he's basically saying, give me that blank check, give me that $60 billion, when he is the one, Biden is the one, that has slow-rolled and dithered us into a stalemate in Ukraine, has no clear end state, no strategy to achieve it. Look, I firmly believe we need to stop Putin, mm -hmm. but we also need a strategy for the long term. Uh, and you can't just keep saying, give me more, more, more. And trust me, uh, you know, especially when it's this administration, uh, I don't trust them as far as I could throw them. And when their energy policy has uh, Russia and Putin's coffers full because of the high price of oil, because of their obsession with climate, we're literally spending against ourselves. So we're going to ask a lot of tough questions uh, when it comes to Ukraine. But I do think we'll get Israel out uh, uh, today and tomorrow. Congressman Walton, retired Army colonel, you, you, you and I have actually talked about this uh, privately about Ukraine. And, and as you just articulated, it's not an issue of whether or not we should support Ukraine against Putin. It's what are we doing with this money? There's no accountability. There's no plan. And it, I think right. after spending $75 billion and a request now for another 60 billion, isn't it time they tell us what they're going to do with it? What does success look like in line with our interests? Uh, is it the pre-invasion line? Is it all of the Donbass? Is it all of Crimea? You know, what is it? How long is it going to take? What's it going to cost? What are those funds buying? Uh, Biden is still withholding things that Ukrainians, if they had had them in the very beginning, uh, this thing probably would have been over by now. So, uh, yeah, we're going to ask those tough questions. And then on top of that, uh, Europe needs to step up, and I will continue to point out to all of my colleagues and the administration, Germany just formally backed away from its 2% of GDP defense commitment in its parliament uh, last month. And I am sick and tired of the U.S. taxpayer subsidizing European social programs. They need to step up and pay for their own defense. You know, I, 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 this brings up another question that uh, I, I didn't uh, think we were going to discuss. But when we're, we're talking about Israel, we have Turkey saying that they may engage in, in Gaza. I mean, that's a NATO ally. I mean, we, we've, we've had issues with Turkey. Is it, is it time we reevaluate that alliance? Well, yeah, I think it is under constant evaluation, Tony. I don't want to lose Turkey. I mean, they're the they're the largest land army in NATO. This is an Erdogan problem, not necessarily a Turkey problem. Uh, and I think there are things to do uh, that we can do to leverage him in the right direction. Uh, one, but I think even taking a step back further, we need to be taking a hard look at all of the enablers of Hamas. They need to be the ones taking on Palestinian refugees. We need to hold them at risk uh, for their support to Hamas. Uh, and then finally, when there's a lot of people asking about what happens after Hamas is destroyed, who's going to do the rebuilding, we need to be looking at Turkey, at Qatar, uh, uh, and, and others. And oh, by the way, we have to shut off the money flowing into Iran. Otherwise, we'll just be mowing the grass. 
uh, and it will those tariffs will grow back again as long as Iran is flush with cash. So my whole point with this supplemental is there's a lot of policy problems, whether it's Iran or border or Ukraine. And I, for one, am not for just throwing the taxpayer dollars at bad policy from this administration. Final question for you, Congressman Mike Waltz. Uh, does the House hold the line on the separation of the funding bills? So if the, the Senate rejects it, sends it back, uh, does the House hold the line in funding Israel and Ukraine separately? Oh, absolutely. Uh, because, again, uh, the border is uh, that's not a money problem. That's a policy problem. Uh, we know that from the last administration's policies. I just uh, outlined the problems with the lack of strategy in Ukraine and in, in Gaza. It's an Iran policy problem. They are absolutely flush with cash and foreign currency reserves. That's what has to shift. And if we have to use uh, this time and this moment to drive the administration to better policy, that's absolutely what we should do. All right. Uh, Congressman Mike Waltz, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. All right. Thank you, Tony. All right. All right. Coming up next, the Biden administration announcing today that they're working on anti-Islamophobia programs. Now, they're, they're doing this when the, the problem on college campuses in major cities across America is uh, anti-Semitism. So is this based upon a real problem or is it based upon politics? We're going to talk about that next. Congressman Randy Weber of Texas joins us. Don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch still to come on this Wednesday afternoon. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you. Be sure and uh, check it out. Well, even as uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric and threats of violence rocket skyrocket throughout the United States, the Biden administration is developing a strategy to combat Islamophobia. Now, we've seen the left increasingly uh, turn against Israel in recent weeks. Democratic Congresswoman uh, Jayapal from Washington State even warned the president to, quote, be careful in how he handles his support for the U.S. Uh, ally known as Israel. And this, of course, the evidence is out there, the terrorist attack by Hamas upon our friends in Israel. So does the Biden administration's blind eye to anti-Semitism and focus on Islamophobia merely reflect a cold political calculation? Join me now to discuss this, Congressman Randy Weber. He serves on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce and the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, represents the 4th Congre- 14th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Weber, welcome back to the program. Great to see you. Thank you, Tony. It's good to be here. So we, we've seen, uh, shockingly, I should say, uh, although we've known that it's been kind of latent on college campuses, but this anti-Semitic rhetoric and the threats of violence now that has been going on for about three weeks is, is rather shocking. You know, the White House says, you know, first, slow to deal with it, but now wanting to make this look like it's a two-sided issue. What do you say? Well, sadly, it doesn't surprise me, Tony. It shouldn't surprise a lot of people uh, how out of touch this White House is, number one, and how they pander to the far left, number two. You've watched the squad for the past, you know, give it a, a, a year, five, four or five years or more, how they've been just totally out of touch with reality and moving further and further to the left. Our greatest friend, our greatest ally, Israel, needs our help. Uh, you know, I mean, I know our, your great audience. We know about all of the, the stuff going on in the college, not just the college campuses, but high schools and around the country. Even Rashida Tlaib is trying to uh, you know, aggravate uh, the situation by coming out, even here in Washington, D.C. It's no surprise at all that President Biden, instead of supporting our, our great friend ally and condemning uh, anti-Semitism, and of course, I'm co-chair on the Anti-Semitism Caucus, 
that he would literally make this about trying to condemn some fake movement uh, on the other side of this coin. It's just it's shocking. It, it, to me, it kind of shows the underbelly of the politics of identity, the identity politics that they've been pursuing. And that only works to a degree. And so now you have these, uh, you know, for a long time, the uh, Jewish vote was directed toward the Democratic Party because there's a lot of liberal on social issues. But now th- there's this conflict within the Democratic Party and the left. I mean, this could this could uh, potentially reshape the political landscape of the country. Well, we would hope so. We would hope that Americans see them for who they are, uh, see them for what exactly what they're trying to do. Number one, they're two-faced. Number two, you talk about uh, they, they've had the politics of personal destruction. They're trying to destroy what, what we're doing, our greatest friend and ally, supporting our greatest friend and ally. They're trying to make this sound like it's about uh, is the Israelis attacking Hamas, and all one has to do is look at those videos. And I know you've, I know you've heard this. Some of the rhetoric has been that, oh, those are fake videos. Uh, some of the, they've, they've actually literally in the process of brainwashing some of our youth around the country so that they, they don't believe their very own eyes. And it doesn't surprise me that they're attacking the left. I mean, the, the left is attacking Israel. Uh, we'll see if Americans stand up and kick yeah. them out of office. Uh, I hope you're right. Being a part of the the anti-Semitism caucus and, and protecting our friends, our Jewish friends, there, there's during my time, and I've mentioned this several times in the program, but the, during my time as chairing USERF, we looked at the rise in Western Europe of anti-Semitism as a warning sign of greater hostility toward faith as a whole. And so as Christians in this country, we need to be looking at this and taking note because don't think it's going to stop with a hatred for Jewish people. Oh, and you remember the famous pastor back in Germany during the day when they came from the Lutherans. I didn't say anything. They came from the Catholics. I didn't say anything. And of course, and they came from the Jews. I didn't say anything. They came from me. There wasn't anybody to say anything. We absolutely ought to be sounding this clarion bell that we'd better be paying attention. Uh, we have great friendship, great relationship with Israel. They are, as you know, Judeo-Christian roots, our constitution, and we better have their backside, and they have our backside. We better make sure that people know that this stuff will spread. It will spread from Israel. It'll, there will be a regional war. There will be a Middle East war, and uh, we, we can't afford that, not just for our friends Israel, uh, as you know. Uh, uh, this would absolutely, uh, if Iran got involved, would spread the conflict, yeah. probably almost around the world. Yeah, I, I think it could unite something, making this basically a, a religious war on behalf of the Islamic world, Correct. Uh, attacking uh, the, the West. Uh, Congressman Randy Weber, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. All right, Congressman Randy Weber of uh, Texas. <clears throat> just want to reemphasize this point. First off, as Christians, we need to be praying for the peace of Israel, Jerusalem. We need to be praying for that country. And, and, and I'm praying for the innocent people in Gaza as well. There are innocent people there that are being used as human shields by Hamas. And, and so, we, we, yes, we should pray for them. We need to pray that this conflict is resolved in the right way so that it's not just kept at a level where it's simmering, ready to boil over at any moment. We need to, to allow the, uh, the Israeli people to protect themselves. 
And that's something we've talked about here repeatedly. But here at home, we need to call out evil for what it is. And what we see happening on college campuses should have warning lights going out, going off on the dashboard of America. This hostility, where we're seeing Jewish students and individuals chased, jumped on, um, beaten, this should not happen. It shouldn't happen to anybody. But this shows us we've got a serious problem in this country. A lot of it connected to our institutions of education. Now, we're going to be talking about that next. Meg Kilgannon joins me to talk about uh, the Washington Post tracking a significant rise in homeschooling. Why are more parents homeschooling? We're going to talk about that. And then also, why is the Washington Post tracking homeschooling? We're going to talk about that as well. Still to come, we're going to talk to James Comer, chairman of the Oversight and Accountability Committee, about money going into President Biden's bank account. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. The website, TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you and contact information for our guests. So be sure and uh, check it out. Well, across the U.S., we've seen a dramatic rise in homeschool in recent years. This growth kicked off during the COVID pandemic and has continued even after public schools finally reopened, making homeschooling America's fastest growing form of education. So what factors have contributed to the sustained growth of homeschooling, even post-pandemic. And what lies ahead from a policy perspective for homeschooling? 
I think there's some minefields ahead. I think that's why Washington Post and others are focusing on it. Joining me now to discuss this is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. She served in the Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to be here. So it's fair to conclude that homeschooling during the pandemic was more than a fad. Uh, Parents uh, said, hey, this might be a good option for us. I, I, this, this article in the post is, is humorous in a lot of ways in, in how they sort of um, miss, miss what happened and as all the while they're studying exactly what happened. I mean, parents, schools were closed down and, and then they tried to do, some schools, districts tried to do virtual schooling, online schooling, and uh, moms and dads who were navigating that quickly figured out that it would just be a lot easier to do it themselves. And that's a big a big contributor to this rise in homeschooling. You know, you can control the quality of the education, you can control the content of the education, and you get to spend time with your favorite people, your kids. Right. And, so there's not a, not a lot of downside. It kind of pulled back the curtain because it was it, it's been there's this uh, I don't know mystique that's been held around education that you've got to sit in a desk a certain way and you got to sit there for so many hours to get this amount of education, and all of a sudden we realized that you know what, you can actually get all that they were giving you in a fraction of the time it's been taking uh, for them to teach our kids. And so the kids get more free time. As you pointed out, parents get more time with their kids and the kids turn out better. I mean, in many, many ways, they have less peer pressure. They, they're able to zero in on the educational uh, strategies that work best for their individual children. And it's a safe environment. It's generally free from bullying, aside from whatever, you know, inter-sibling squabbles that may occur, right? And you're going to yeah, get they, those they whether happen. you homeschool or not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but they happen. They, they, they do, and that's a part of life. But um, the study, you know, this isn't the first article that The Post has done in this vein. They did a... a, a profile of Mike Ferris that um, they found him to be rather terrifying. Of course, I admire him a great deal. He was a a homeschooling rights pioneer um, and uh, past president of the ADF. Um, They've done a profile of a sex education teacher in Holland, Michigan, that was very um, positive about her and how traumatic it's been for her that people don't want her to be um, educating people about sex in Holland, Michigan. So, and now they've done this big homeschooling study. So their their audience is um, a national audience, but it is my hometown paper. Unfortunately, all of my neighbors we we, we read the Washington Post. That's how you find out what's going on where we live. And so they they are presenting a picture to a particular audience about homeschooling. That um, is not is not a positive one, unfortunately. And um, why they're doing that is, um, you know, the left doesn't have children; they have our children. Right. So they can't indoctrinate our kids if we're keeping them home. As a, a former policymaker and a homeschool dad, we've homeschooled uh, our five children. 
homeschoolers understand you've got to live vigilantly, uh, with vigilance, knowing that there's a policy around the corner coming in to try to limit your ability to teach your children or influence in some way. So my, my take is this is teeing up policymakers to come after this growing uh, segment of society because most people don't realize this unless they homeschool. When you pull your child out of a public school, that public school loses money in most cases uh, that follow the child. That doesn't necessarily go to the child when they're homeschooling. So the, the educational stab establishment, for the most part, despises homeschooling. Right. And they uh, they want to regulate it more and more. I think you'll see more bills introduced in state legislatures to require testing or to require certain assessments, to require additional regulations, especially in the states where there aren't any regulations now. Um, and that, that that's exactly because of what you just said. You know, in the end, it's generally about the money, but it's also about the access to children's minds. And we have fewer, we're having fewer and fewer children. And so the fight over those children's minds and bodies and souls is going to become more and more intense over time. And yeah. this is exactly one of those fronts. Well, and I, and I applaud those parents um, and those moms, like my wife, who uh, took the, the, the basically the bulk, the lion's share of the task of educating our children, and I will tell you, no regrets. No regrets of educating your own children, instilling, uh, sharing your values with them, and preparing them to not just compete in the workforce but to be able to survive and thrive in a culture that's growing increasingly hostile to faith and values. Meg Kilgannon, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me. So all you homeschool parents, keep it up and uh, be vigilant. Be watching because we, we have to be on guard. All right, when we come back, we're going to look at what's happening at the southern border. Senator Steve Daines of Montana joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more straight ahead here on Washington Watch. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. 
The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back. Thanks for uh, joining us on this Wednesday. Well, in Senate testimony yesterday, FBI Director Christopher Wray said the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of a terrorist attack in the U.S. to a heightened level. Now, this comes even as the Biden administration's failure to enforce border protocols led to record migrant crossings throughout this year with more than 1.7 million known gotaways. That's individuals who are evading. You know, so many of these come over and they just say, hey, here I am. Take me in. And and they get a free pass into the country. Well, if that's the case, why would you want to evade being caught? Because they're they're just it's called catch and release. They catch them, give them a sheet of paper and they let them go. So why would you evade being caught unless you have something to hide? Now, the Republican senators held a press conference earlier today in part addressing this issue. Clip five. The odds that terrorists are coming across our southern border into the United States are increasing on an hour-by-hour basis. Afghanistan, Lebanon, Somalia, Russia, more than 500 crossed here from those countries last month. People there, they hate us. So we should be prepared that they could attack us from within. That was Montana Senator Steve Daines earlier this morning, and now he's with us this afternoon. Senator Daines, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, good to be with you, Tony. Now, you've been outspoken on this issue. What threats do we face due to the Biden administration's mishandling of our southern border? You know, Tony, over the course of the last several weeks, I've stood on two borders. In late August, I stood on the Israel-Lebanon border. In the, seeing the Hezbollah terror tunnels. Two weeks ago, I was on the Texaco, te- Texas-Mexico border looking firsthand at what's happening on the southern border. I think what's not being fully communicated or understood by so many Americans is that what's coming across the southern border is not just Central Americans, Mexicans, South Americans. 
It is individuals from states that are, are uh, bastions for known terrorist entities like Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Syria, uh, Lebanon. The San Diego Border Patrol issued a warning bulletin about a week and a half ago, and it said we need to be on the watch for Hamas terrorists coming across the southern border. As you just pointed out, Tony, the folks that are coming across the border, uh, 8 million since Biden uh, took office, the ones that throw their arms up, I don't worry a lot about them, although we have encountered nearly 200 on the terror watch list, in the FBI right. watch list. Right. I worry about those they call, as you said, the 1.7 million known gotaways. That means we laid eyes on them, we saw them on the video camera, but never were able to encounter them. But even beyond that, when I chatted with Border Patrol in Texas, I asked him, well, how many do we think are coming across that are, are the unknown gotaways? In other words, we have no idea. And they said, well, by definition, we don't know, but we think it's another 50%. So take that 1.7 million known gotaways, add maybe another 50%, so another you know, 800,000, 900,000. We have no idea who these people are. But we do know is there are people coming in from countries that are on terror watch lists and from countries that harbor terrorists and seek to destroy us. Is it safe to say, given our liberal immigration policy, which is no policy at all, you just kind of come in, as you said, throw up your hands, you get a, a piece of paper to report to a court date, uh, you know, 12 months later, and you're let go into the country. Is it safe to say then those who are intentionally evading capture that they may have something to hide? Well, I think that's human nature. If you have nothing to hide, you're not afraid to be captured. If you have something to hide, you avoid capture. And this is what worries so many of us. So just think about that for a moment. You know, 1.7 million people have come across the southern border that we don't know who they are. We, we know they came across because we laid eyes on them either physically or through a video camera. But again, another 800,000 on top of that, we have no idea when they came or where they came from. But we already know there are thousands and thousands coming across from states that harbor terrorists. So I'm very worried, Tony, as we're seeing what's happening in the Middle East, the mm -hmm. horrible attacks from Hamas that will inspire perhaps lone wolves in our country, like we saw happen in Belgium when those two Swedes lost their lives, murdered by Islamic right. terrorists. Uh, it, but this could inspire radicals. It also could release terror cells that are going to have premeditated kind of attacks here. This is a very, very dangerous time for our country. And I hold Joe Biden and the Senate Democrats accountable for this because it's their policies that put us in this mess. I, I think the the probability of something more than just lone wolf uh, action is uh, is quite significant when you consider the the number of people who have come across the border and the cell groups, the terrorist cell groups that have could have been assembled here in this country. I want to go back to to Israel. Uh, I've been to the to the northern border there. Uh, with Lebanon. I've been to the southern border there on Gaza, and I've seen the elaborate security that the Israelis have. But even then, uh, with the, the elaborate security, the balloons monitoring, the walls, the fences, all of that, that was still breached. And given the fact that they put so much effort into it, but still were at risk, what does that tell us about our condition? Well, it, it, it's concerning uh, Tony, in uh, some of the most important intelligence when you're working with uh, less sophisticated terror organizations 
is human intelligence. That's probably one of the failures that happened in Gaza was a breach in human intelligence. But I'll tell you, when I saw the, those Hezbollah terror tunnels just the, that last week of August, I was the last senator to meet with Bibi Netanyahu in Jerusalem prior to the October 7th attacks. And what did I talk with, with Bibi there? It was Iran. It was Hamas. It was Hezbollah. In those Hezbollah tunnels, spray-painted on the inside, saw it with my own eyes, it says, on our way to Jerusalem. It's written in Arabic, on our way to Jerusalem. Look, the, it, this is premeditated planning. They were hoping to have thousands of Hezbollah terrorists come through these tunnels with a northern invasion. We're very concerned about that northern border escalating because Hamas, Hamas is kind of the junior varsity as it relates right. to a right. terror organization in Gaza. Hezbollah would be a you know a Division One team, and they have 150,000 rockets pointed at Israel in, in southern Lebanon, embedded in hospitals, in mosques, in schools, using human shields. Of course, terrorists uh, value death. They they uh, they aspire to death. The Israelis protect life, and this is one of the challenges they face right now with this current terror threat. So, quickly on on these terror these tunnels that were uncovered there in the north. Was it suspected that those were going to be used for a coordinated attack from the north based upon what Hamas was doing on the south? Yes. Um, the, the, thankfully, the Israelis discovered these tunnels. These tunnels started construction back in 2014, nine years ago. I mean, it was very archaic technology used to, to get through this, these sandstone hills in Lebanon that border Israel but I was able to descend with an IDF soldier there just seven weeks ago down 80 feet below the surface of the of the ground and then across until they finally they filled it with concrete once the Israelis got onto what the Hezbollah was doing. But uh, this is this is just a um, it's, it's a tinderbox right now, Tony. And um, this is why we've got to hold Iran accountable for it. This is why we need moral clarity from President Biden and leaders in Washington to one unequivocally stand with Israel, unequivocally let Israel do what it has to do to protect itself. That's going to be a long, drawn-out war yeah. going into Gaza to eradicate yeah. Hamas. But if the Iranians decide to signal to Hezbollah to end the conflict from the north, then it's erupted into something else that's very concerning because it starts to overwhelm capabilities there in Israel with that some 150,000 rockets pointed from right. Lebanon. Yeah, we, we cannot handcuff them. We, we have to let them take care of their security there in Israel. Senator Steve Daines, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Thanks, Tony. All right, Senator Steve Daines of Montana. I mean, you heard what he said. Those tunnels were being planned all the way back from 2014. This, this thing is well-planned and uh, interesting that coordinated attack, both uh, entities getting funding and support from Iran, both Hezbollah and Hamas. Well, according to a report distributed today by the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, President Joe Biden back in 2017 received $40,000 that can be traced to a Chinese energy company linked to the Chinese Communist Party. The transaction, which also involved uh, the president's brother and his son, Hunter, stemmed from the same business deal in which Joe Biden, or what's referred to by others as the big guy, was slated to receive a 10 percent cut on the action. Now, the allegations contradict the then presidential candidate, 
Biden's 2020 campaign claims that he had no business dealings with his son or his brother. And they raise questions whether his administration has compromised their ability to confront China's communist regime. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman James Comer. He's the chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of the Bluegrass State of Kentucky. Chairman Comer, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So let me ask you a question. Would you know if somebody dropped $40,000 into your checking account? Yeah, I would know. And, you know, we all have relatives that, that need money. Uh, if if you were going to loan them what now is $240,000, a quarter of a million dollars, I think you would have a pretty good idea of what they were going to do to be able to have the means to pay you back. And whether this was a loan or not, you remember, this is $40,000 we disclosed today. We disclosed $200,000 last week. Whether or not they were loans, which I do not believe they were, but Biden saying they were and the press is going to go along with whatever Joe Biden says. Either way, the, the family couldn't have paid Joe Biden back had they not been involved in an influence peddling scheme. And we traced the $200,000 check back to a healthcare company in Florida that they influenced, peddled, and said that Joe Biden could help them get unlimited capital in the Middle East. We traced this $40,000 check back to China. And that, that initial transaction that you see on your screen, that happened days after Hunter Biden sent that WhatsApp message threatening the Chinese operative, saying his dad was sitting right beside him. And his dad wasn't going to be happy if you didn't wire him the money. That's where our, all of this started. That's where it initiated with that WhatsApp message. And it ends up $40,000 in Joe Biden's pocket. Now you, you made reference to this, Chairman Comer, that the media, you know, said, well, it's a loan. I mean, I, I keep hearing this. Every time you uncover new evidence, the media says, well, they don't have any evidence. This is just a, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this is just a, a witch hunt. You're just out there on this, yeah. uh, this blind chase. What will it take to convince the media that we got that the president has a problem here? He's been compromised. I mean, the president's lied so many times to the American people. He acted like the laptop wasn't his son's, like it was Russian disinformation. He said his family never took money from China. He said that none of the money that his family received ever happened while he was vice president. He said he never met with or spoke to any of these people who sent his family money. And what we found in seven short months is, Every one of those statements were lies. And, and with this money here, I mean, this shows that Joe Biden benefited from his family's shady financial uh, uh, shakedowns of, of foreign nationals. I mean, whether it was a loan or not doesn't matter. Again, I don't believe it was. But either Joe Biden was paid $240,000 in a kickback or he didn't lose $240,000 that he loaned to his brother. Either way, he's a quarter of a million dollars better off because of the influence peddling scheme. So Joe Biden did know what his family was doing. He knew they were selling the Biden brand, that they were selling access. And every American should be concerned, not just because that's public corruption, but because all the countries that sent money to the Bidens are our biggest enemies around the world. And this would lead to the question whether or not, of whether or not Joe Biden is in fact compromised. So let's talk about what we do know and what the American people can know with certainty. And you've you've already pointed to that because the president repeatedly going all the way back to the campaign said he had nothing to do with it, nothing, knew nothing about his son's business deals. All of these things, all of these statements that he, he's made have been proven to be 
blatantly false. So, so we can say with confidence the president has lied. Can we not? Yes. Yes, he's lied multiple times. I mean, multiple times about his knowledge and about his involvement of his family's corrupt, shady business dealing. And we're finding evidence that he's met with every one of these people, even the healthcare company that uh, he was a part of that $200,000 check last week that we found. He had met with those executives. So he knew his brother went to him and said, if you hire me, if you pay me money, then uh, then my brother can help you get money out of the Middle East. I mean, the Middle East, for goodness sake. So you know, we've got a situation here where this president hasn't been honest, hasn't been honest with the American people. And the media continues to turn a blind eye. And, and to have oversight and accountability, the media has to play a role in this. And, and it's just like pulling teeth to get the media to, to, to cover this. Remember, they said a month ago, they said, well, Comer's not going to be successful unless he can find that money actually went to Joe Biden. Well, we found that. <laughs> Two different checks. And now they're saying, well, we, what we meant to say was money that went to Joe Biden while he was vice president. And, and I mean, you know, they continue to move the goalposts, but I think every American's keeping up with this, and they know that this is public corruption. Yeah. I mean, it it. It, it looks like a rat, smells like a rat. I, I think yeah. it's a rat. Uh, Chairman yeah. Comer, thanks for joining us. We're out of time. Always great to talk to you. We're going to keep tracking this and get you back on when we uh, you find that next check. So maybe next week. All right. We're still looking. Yeah, we're following the money. Wow. All right. Good to see you. Chairman Comer, wow, I tell you, the media is something. All right, folks, we're out of time for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.